This is the Kibasa King Sports Extravaganza. Hey, 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 Yakshamash. Club to you too, or whatever. I love your style. I love the way you edit things together. Well, thanks for noticing. It's a real pain. <laughs> <laughs> we welcome to the show Christian Leitner. Yeah, I'm proud of my heritage, and my mother used to make a lot of delicious meals. Kapusta, bumpy, padoe, all that good stuff. I put sour cream on everything, and um, so <laughs> a, lot of, a, lot of, a lot of Polish tradition there. Hey guys, this is Jay Kokorowski at the Polish Rifle Scott Wisniewski. Welcome to the Kielbasa King Sports Extravaganza. Proud part of Bucky's Fifth Quarter and brought to you by Rent College Pads, our great sponsor. Make sure you guys go to rentcollegepads.com. And we have a big show today. Obviously, there's been got recruiting's getting down there. We're less than, we're almost two weeks away, I should say, from National Signing Day. Uh, we'll give you some brief updates uh, later in the show. Uh, we, we also got to talk, you know, the, the Polish Rifle and I have to talk about the Royal Rumble coming up on this Sunday. Come, uh, and also our time at uh, NXT in Milwaukee. We'll rehash that from last Thursday. We also have some Brewers news with Jonathan Lucroy per report, wanting wanting to be traded essentially. That uh, would be a bad thing on his end. Uh, we'll also recap some more Badger stuff. But we're going to get into the thick of it now. We're talking some Green Bay Packers, a hard loss, a heartbreaking. The obviously the Packers come back, a, a hail, a second hail mary in the season, which I don't know. If there's any statistics about that that would describe like how many hail marys have happened in the season, but uh, then only for them to lose in the first series of overtime uh, in their loss to Arizona Cardinals in the NFC Divisional Playoff Round, and to help us kind of digest what. Everybody saw on Saturday night, uh, as well as to look into the future and uh, the 2016 Packers could could hold uh, for fans' expectations as well as, as everyone else's. This is we got Brian Caribou, lead Packers writer for 24/7 Sports at CBS. Brian, hello, glad to be joining you guys. Brian, let's get right into the the, the game on Saturday. Again, uh, another playoff game where the Packers maybe exceed the expectations, much like last year's playoff run when they beat Dallas. Had Seattle beat, this year they were able to go on the road and beat Washington. They really defensively, aside from uh, the series in overtime, I thought the defense played well. They put themselves in a position to win. But in the end, another heartbreaking defeat for this Packer team. But again, a good playoff run, but change is coming. So before we get into the changes and some of that, just your overall impressions of the game, uh, defensively, offensively, what stood out for you? Yeah, I mean, just a heartbreaker, obviously. Just the way the last, you know, in real time, the last 10, 15 minutes or so, how you could go from the highest of highs with the game time Hail Mary uh, to the lowest of lows uh, in overtime as the Packers first give up the 70-yard play to Larry Fitzgerald and then proceed to give up the game-winning touchdown to Mr. Fitzgerald. Uh, I mean, that's the lasting impression uh, to that game. You know, kind of from a, an overall season standpoint, it was a, a season of unfulfilled expectations, I guess. Uh, you kind of thought coming in that the, they would be all set, especially offensively, and that didn't turn out to be the case. And you know, obviously the loss of Jordy Nelson had a lot to do with that, uh, you know, all season long and certainly on Sunday. Uh, you know, the Packers' defense better than last season, uh, maybe not a top 10 unit or just outside the top 10, I'd say. Um, so uh, there's there's still a lot to be desired from the Packers' standpoint in, in 2015. 
and when, you know when you look at the maybe just looking back at the season as a as a whole it, in I mean everything started off well obviously undefeated going into the bye week and then just a I'm not gonna say epic collapse but just things going wrong in your opinion Brian like what how will you remember this the 2015 Green Bay Packers? Uh, I'll remember it for the offensive struggles and especially that of the passing game. I mean, under the tenure of Mike McCarthy, this has been annually, year in, year out, a top 10 passing offense, and usually even higher than that, a top five passing offense. And to see Aaron Rodgers basically have have the worst season since he became a starter was, was stunning. Uh, you know, you after the first six weeks of the season and everything you thought was kind of fine, but then after that it just kept getting worse and worse and worse, you know, from about bye week onward. And, and you know, by the end of the season, I, I know I had very little hope that the Packers could do anything in the playoffs. I guess I thought that, you know, oh, maybe they can get by Washington, but uh, I, I didn't have a whole lot of hope of them beating Arizona. They played better than I thought they would. Um, but, yeah, I mean, the big part of it was the struggles of the Packers offense all season long, uh, and, and the struggles of Aaron Rodgers is what I'll remember it for. Brian, in a minute we'll talk about some of the changes already. Some coaches have been let go and, and what this team will, will try to address with their own free agents and that sort of thing. But I tend to be called, if Jake calls me this, I think, maybe not to my face, but I'm a little bit more, what? don't call me a pessimist. Don't call me a pessimist. I say I'm a little bit more realistic. The Sam Shields, the last dropped interception on the drive that ended up giving the Cardinals the lead, to me, just because I've seen this happen so many times before, I thought right then and there the game was over. Obviously, the Packers came back. They tied it, but they lost in overtime. But it just seemed like there were so many near misses. Last year against Seattle, they needed like nine things to go wrong and they, to lose, and it did. And in this game, there were so many near picks and deflected balls off of – like the cornerbacks the, the and the D-backs were in great position all game aside from the one wide-open Larry Fitzgerald catch. But anyway, we're in great position <laughs> all game. But it just seemed like, you know, when that interception didn't happen, there was just a part of me that said, you know, it's hard to overcome things like this. And I, as it turns out, that's what happened. But the, is it that simplistic? Can can you boil something down to just one play like that? Uh, I don't think you can. Uh, I have some strong feelings personally on the topic of, like, the drop interception, thing like that. And maybe part of it's because I'm a former defensive back myself. You can't expect defensive backs to come up with interceptions. You wish they could. It's certainly understandable. You want Sam Shields to make that, but to hold that against him, I'm not saying that's what you're doing, but, I mean, some people I see on social media just up in arms over this. Yeah, you know, if Sam Shields makes that interception, the Packers could end up winning that game, maybe. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, I, I think it's wrong to hold that against them whenever a, a defensive back doesn't make a play. There's so many reasons why you see so often every level, high school, college, pro football, uh, of defensive backs dropping interceptions. And it, it goes beyond just the, the thinking, you know, oh, well, if they, if they had good hands, they'd be playing on offense. There's so much more to it than that. Um, uh, just uh, that, you know, defensive backs don't go into play anticipating to catch a pass. So often they have their back turned to the quarterback, and they don't know which way the receiver's going to break. So all of a sudden, the ball's in the air, their head is turned, they don't know which way the receiver's going, and next thing you know, they're turning around and the ball's there, and, and you just are glad they, you know, got there. You, you should be just glad they broke the pass up to begin with a lot of times. I kind of took this on a tangent myself here from your question. Um, but uh, I have some strong feelings about the topic. Sure. And, and, and to clarify, at no point am I saying he needs to catch that or he's wrong for not catching it or he had a bad game because he played phenomenal. Guess what I'm saying, though, is, that that split second, like that, could have been a game changer. You don't expect it. You don't go into the play thinking that could happen. But there was just a part of me that says, "Oh my goodness, that was the opportunity to to maybe put the the proverbial dagger into this game, and it didn't happen." 
But then again, later in the drive, good defensive positioning again, ball deflects off of a forearm into Michael, you know, into Michael Floyd's arm. So, I mean, what are you supposed to do when things like that happen? Yeah, I don't know what you do. It, it, that play especially was, was just absolutely crazy how it, you know, it looks like, oh, they bet they're going to, you know, break up the pass and it's, they're going to hold them uh, out of the end zone. Next thing you know, it's a touchdown. And I don't know what you can do on that kind of play. It's, yeah, you just sit there and shake your head and put your head in your hands and, and I, I guess that's what you do. Uh, you know, I, I had a tweet right after that saying, you know when your team's supposed to lose when dot, 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 dot. And just like, I mean, it just seemed like things are going that way uh, in that game. Uh, just uh, besides that, the, the Herculean Hail Mary is how I'll refer to it as. But uh, we're, we're here with Brian Caribou, lead Packers writer for 24-7 Sports here on the Kielbasa King Sports Extravaganza, brought to you by Brent College Pads. Brian, you know, before we kind of go, and, and Scotty's alluded, we'll talk about the, the coaching changes, uh, the Packers announcing uh, the, the running backs coach, coach Sam Gash, and, and also tight ends coach uh, Jerry Fontenot being let go. Uh, we'll, we'll kind of talk about that in probably the next uh, the next uh, couple questions. But really just uh, and we talk, you know, with, with the passing game, and obviously you lose Randall Cobb. Uh, early in the game with that chest injury, turned out to be, from what I believe it was a bruised lung, but then you see guys like Jeff Janis and and Jared Aberderis step up. What did you see out of those two, and, and, and what does that bode for the receiving core in, in 2016, and, and maybe even the status of of, of a James Jones? Uh, yeah, I, I personally don't think the Packers are going to pursue James Jones heavily because they have so many guys under contract coming back. Um, I suppose they would leave the door open, but I don't think they're, you know, it's going to be something that they're, you know, keenly interested in doing. I personally am very much a Jeff Janis fan. I think the Packers missed the ball on getting him involved this season. Uh, If you watch the Packers game in, game out, if you watch the preseason just as much as you do the postseason, you've seen a guy who caught, 12 passes over the course of the past two preseasons and took five of them for touchdowns. You saw a guy who took over the kick return duties this year and would have ranked number third in the NFL had he had enough attempts to uh, qualify for the overall kick return leaders um, in terms of kickoff per return average. Um, You know, I understand Jeff Janis is not a refined wide receiver he didn't deserve to be uh you know on the field for 80 plays a game but there is so much talent in him I can't believe the Packers sat there for so many games throughout the course of the season and couldn't figure out a way to get him involved in some small way get the ball in his hands a few times a game on offense. I'm not saying throw him the ball 12 times a game. I'm saying let's get him the ball three times a game and let's see if he can make a play out of one of them. I I really thought that was a missed opportunity by the Packers. I think the coaching staff did him a disservice. Uh, I feel very strongly about that. Uh, Jared Aberderis, uh came on nicely toward the end. Uh, obviously, I'm, I think the jury's kind of still out on him, whether he can survive in the NFL from uh, just his size and the hits he's taken already in his injury history. Uh, certainly talented. Uh, the, the talent is there, as we've seen. Dropped a few, you know, when – you, you get five passes and you drop one, that, that drop rate isn't, you know, what you want it to be. But I think there's promise there with Jared Everdaris. Okay, so before we get into the free agents uh, that the Packers are going to try to resign of their own, two coaches get fired. Fontenot gets fired. Sam Gash gets fired. Start with Sam Gash. How much of this is Gash being a scapegoat for – Lacey being overweight, or is it because there were nine fumbles collectively between the two? Because I thought at at times Starks looked really good this year, and Lacey looked out of shape, but how much of that is on Sam Gash, and how much of that should be on Lacey, if that is, in fact, the reason why uh, they feel that the, the run game struggled? 
Yeah, I, I, as in everything, I don't think you can point to exactly one thing. I, th- I think it's a little bit of everything in terms of, yeah, it may be a little bit that he's kind of being held as a scapegoat, but I certainly think there's some, some you know, truth to the matter there that, uh, you know, maybe he didn't do a good enough job motivating these guys and, and creating a little bit more urgency there. And, yeah, uh, these were a career-high number of fumbles for both James Starks, who had five this season, and Eddie Lacy at four. Neither of those guys in their entire careers have had that many fumbles before. Uh, so, I mean, that was definitely a disappointment this year. And, you know, had they not given those balls away, you know, that's, those are just possessions taken away from the Packers' offense that makes the whole unit look poor. So uh, I, I think those kind of things play into it. And we're here at the same with... time, with... Oh, I'm sorry, Jake. I'm sorry. With Fontenot, again, how can you hold him responsible for the fact that Corliss really never got on the field? And I thought Richard Rodgers improved from last year to this year. I, I mean, how... Again, was it just a matter of somebody's got to go? I mean, sometimes you see it. They won't say it, but sometimes it's like, okay, the offense was discombobulated. Somebody's got to go. But I don't think the tight ends were necessarily the reason. It's not Fontenot's fault they don't have a Jermichael Finley or a Greg Olson or somebody like that who can actually stretch the field. Yeah, absolutely. I, that one came as a surprise to me, too. Uh, I had no inkling that Jerry Fontenot would have been fired uh, you know, never even crossed my mind prior to today. Um, you know, here's a guy who's been on the staff since 2006, the year Mike McCarthy came to Green Bay. He's been on his staff for the whole entire time for a decade and kind of reminded me a little bit of what happened last year with Sean Slocum, Mike McCarthy, kind of showing that, you know, personal friendships or loyalties, he, he's kind of, you know, willing to part ways with them. You know, he was, he was friends with Sean Slocum. Uh, last year and parted ways with him. So, uh, yeah, it's it's weird. I I don't know how much you fault Jerry Fontenot for the fact that, you know, these guys underproduced. You know, Richard Rodgers is not going to be fast. He's never going to be fast. Um, He certainly has a nice pair of hands. He's got that going for him. But, you know, I, I don't know how much you hold Jerry Fontenot for their shortcomings. Here with Brian Caribou, of course, lead Packers writer at 24-7 Sports here on the Kielbasa King Sports Extravaganza. You know, and, and Scott alluded to it about the free agents. Who, I mean, going into this offseason, uh, maybe this is a two-pronged thing, uh, who are the main free agents the Packers need to, to keep? And maybe even looking ahead, what are the positions in need uh, for the Packers moving forward to, to continue to, to, to give – you know, the, the team a shot to a uh, Super Bowl uh, next next season. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. I mean, the Packers took care of the one guy who was absolutely crucial to keep with, with defensive lineman Mike Daniels kind of there in the midst of the season, uh, late in the season there, sometime in December that happened. Um, and, and he was the key one. I mean, beyond that, I, I think you're looking at the, the guy who's, you know, going to garner the most interest from other teams is cornerback Casey Hayward. And, and I don't know how much the Packers are going to be, you know, willing to keep him seeing as the last NFL draft, they, they grabbed two cornerbacks in the first round, not to mention they got Ladarius Gunter, an undrafted rookie waiting in the wings. Uh, you know, they might just let Casey Hayward go and, and pick up the compensatory draft choice for his loss. Um, so beyond that, I mean, there's, there's no real, you know, absolute guys there where you're just like, man, the Packers got to keep them. I mean, there's, there's some role players there, uh, running back James Starks, uh, linebacker Mike Neal, linebacker Nick Perry. Uh, the Packers, you know, probably, you know, would be willing to keep these guys, but, you know, I don't think they're going to be willing to, you know, invest in them heavily. So it's, you know, from from the guys who are you know coming up on being free agents, not the most enticing class in the world for the Packers. Um, just a lot of mid-tier guys. Um, but you know, as far as positions that they got to address in the off season, I, I think there's a few of them. Uh, you know, the one we just talked about, tight end. They need a dynamic guy. They need a tall, you know, big tight end that can stretch the field. 
Um, you know, I, I think Richard Rodgers is a very nice number two tight end, the guy who's got the reliable pair of hands who can maybe help you all blocking a little bit, but they need the Jermichael Finley type uh, that that's, you know, fast. And, and um, so I, I think that's one position. And then, you know, Mike McCarthy says yesterday during the season-ending press conference that he'd like to move Clay Matthews back to outside linebacker, and it makes sense to me. I mean, that's that's where he's at his best is rushing the passer. You understand why they had him at inside linebacker. I would have hated to see the Packers with, with Nate Palmer there all season. Uh, I mean, that wouldn't have been very good, so you understand why they had him at inside linebacker, but you want to get him back out. So in order to do that, you've got to address that position fairly high in the NFL draft, I think, or, you know, I don't, could they go out finally and, and, and go after somebody in free agency? I doubt it, but you never rule it out. Uh, but those are, you know, some of the key positions I'm looking at. Certainly not the only ones, but maybe the top two. Brian, I think, uh, you know, between Neil Perry and B.J. Raji, who obviously plays a different position than Neil and Perry, I think they'd like to try to keep one, maybe two. I don't think they're going to break the bank, like you said, and I could see a scenario where they're all gone, too. But what about two other guys? Mason Crosby, 31-year-old kicker, but for a kicker, 31, still in the prime of his career, and a guy who's not a free agent, but there have been rumblings that they may consider consider parting ways with Julius Peppers. Uh, yeah, Mason Crosby might be the top target of free agency as far as the Packers are concerned. He might be their number one priority. Uh, maybe at you know at kickers they can be effective into their mid thirties, and he's certainly been effective. You saw him at Sunday night; he just set the NFL record for the most consecutive field goals made in the postseason. I mean, there's there's something. You know that's that's very valuable to Mason Crosby. Maybe, maybe he's not the best kicker in the NFL, but he's a reliable one. And as long as he's not the top paid kicker, I don't think they got to break the bank with him either. Uh, Julius Peppers, uh, kind of interesting. I mean, he could it could go either way. He could call it quits on his own. Um, I, t- I tend to think he'll be back just because you know he's stayed healthy once again, and and the Packers kind of tried to do a. Uh, more of a job this year of giving him a little bit more rest. He certainly didn't play as much this year, as many snaps, and I think he can still be effective in that kind of a a reduced role. Um, but, I mean, you can't rule it out that he himself would, would just, you know, retire at any time, being as that he just turned 36-year-old yesterday, in fact. Um, so, um, I, I tend to think the Packers would, would bite the bullet and, and pay him. The, he, I think he's due $10 million next season. Uh, if they can get one more season where he gets about 10 sacks in, in a reduced role, I think that's great. Here with Brian Caravu, lead Packers writer at 24-7 Sports here on the Kielbasa King Sports Extravaganza. We won't keep it too much longer my friend, uh, real quick, since uh, you know, I I really enjoyed uh, watching your Twitter, your feed just uh, during the college bowl season. Obviously, you did a great job. Great job just talking about NFL draft prospects in the past, and and then you I saw especially with the the being a Wisconsin alum that you are, uh, and then uh, with the Wisconsin Badgers that are that are heading into the NFL or are trying to for this season uh, coming up uh, the East West Shrine Game, which I'll be trying to watch uh, in between changing some diapers and, and rounding up three rascally kids. Uh, what do you see out of a, a player like Joel Stave, uh, Michael Caputo, uh, Derek Watt, uh, even a Tyler Merritt, uh, who uh, per a couple reports looks like from like Tony Pauline earlier today, did not have necessarily a good day uh, for the West squad. But uh, what do you see out of those four players? And, and, and do you, you know, a lot of people, obviously Stave is the most I'd say the most polarizing player you've seen in football in, in, in quite some time, maybe even back from like Mike Samuel, because I know back in that Rose Bowl year, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of, I won't say hate, but uh, just a lot of rumblings. If you, if, if Twitter was back in 1998, there'd be some uh, quite a few rumblings <laughs> about Mike Samuel, but where do you, and, and judging by your laughter, you tend to agree with me on that. What do you see 
out of Save, and he's got the tools. Can he be an NFL court, NFL quarterback or a backup quarterback? And what do you see out of Watt and Caputo and, and Merritt possibly at the next level? Yeah, some interesting, very interesting players there, uh, to say the least. Um, uh, my thoughts on, on Joel Stave. Uh, first of all, I, I think NFL teams are going to like a lot the fact that he has very, very good mechanics um, in terms of, his, you know, just the drop back and the throwing motion and, and no wasted movements and, and things like that. He does have a slow de- delivery, but the mechanics are there. But I almost think that is almost more to that almost says something more about Paul Chris than it does about Joel Stave. I mean, here's the guy who's now prepared Russell Wilson and Scott Tolzien for NFL careers, and and Joel Stave. Uh, uh, you know, I'll say this about him too: Joel Stave will sign an NFL contract. I, I think there's people out there who would deny that up and down. It's going to be drafted. I'm not saying he's going to be good. I'm saying he's going to sign an NFL contract because there are teams out there that will like his mechanics, and he's got the an, an NFL caliber arm. Maybe not the strongest, but strong enough, strong enough to get by. I think the, the touch on his downfield passes is missing there. So he's he's an interesting one. I can see scouts falling in love with the mechanics and 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 thinking they can make something out of him. Um, Michael Caputo, uh, another interesting player. Uh, I just look at other former Packers safeties. Uh, Jason Doring. I look at uh, um, uh, yep. who's the guy with the Eagles right now, Chris Maragos. Yep. Uh, I look at uh, uh, the, the kid from Tony, Wisconsin, uh, way up there. What, why does the name elude me? Jimmy Leonard. Uh, Jim Leonard, thank you. I, I look at those guys, and I, I'm like, there, there's no reason uh, that uh, Caputo isn't, you know, can't make it. If, if those guys can make an NFL career, so can Michael Caputo. I, Jim Leonard's a little, you know, higher up than those other guys I mentioned. He ended up having a, a nice NFL career for himself. Um, but, I, I mean, Michael Caputo, I think, is more aggressive and more of a hitter than all of those guys, um, and, and he's more of a ball magnet. Uh, his coverage probably leaves a little something to be desired, but it's not terrible. I could see him very much being a guy who can who can uh, be a, a kind of a career special teamer kind of guy and kind of be that third or fourth safety on a team. And, and I would feel very comfortable out there uh, with a guy like him. I could see him possibly sneaking late in the NFL draft. Uh, Derek Watt is, you know, obviously all the attention on him because of his brother. Um, but, uh, you know, he's hurt just so much by the devaluation of the fullback in the NFL. You know, when I look at NFL fullbacks, when I – see Derek Watt, I, I see just an, another fullback. Uh, you know, I, I don't know what to think. Uh, the, he certainly seemed to do a nice job in terms of whenever he touched the ball, he was reliable. He wasn't a fumbler. He wasn't a guy who dropped passes. He seems like he can, uh, you know, be reliable in, in the way a, a John Kuhn is, at least. If, you know, it's not fancy, he's reliable, at least. Um, and um, it certainly helps that he plays in a, a you know pro style system like uh, Wisconsin and, and <laughs> motioning more than any team I've ever seen probably in the history of football uh, <laughs> in terms of you know just motioning guys back and forth and trying to that probably helps them a little bit there. And Tyler Maris, I, I you know. I, I hate to say it, he was one of the most overrated players, I think, uh, uh, on this Wisconsin team. Uh, I don't hold out a whole lot of much hope for him making it at the next level. Uh, you know, I find it hard to believe he could even play left tackle at the next level. He would probably have to be a right tackle uh, as opposed to where he lined up all his time at Wisconsin. Um, but um, who knows, you know, maybe he'll, he'll get a shot somewhere probably uh, if nothing on reputation alone or the reputation of the Wisconsin offensive line. Uh, but there's some off the cuff thoughts on these guys. 
the only the only final point I'll make about all of this stuff with the Badgers is just kind of show proves to me why I don't get hyped up over National Signing Day and when the classes get ranked because the Badgers are one of only two Big Ten schools to have 20 draft picks over the last five years. Ohio State, I think, has 23. I think the Badgers have 20, 20 or 21. But they also have the most out of all the Big Ten schools, top 100 selections. I think they had 13 of those. So, again, guys who weren't highly touted when they were signing with the Badgers ended up having some pretty good NFL, at least looks if not careers, some of them great careers. Yeah, you know, you look at the Badgers, and I, I suppose if you look at those statistics, like the most traffic, you said, oh, man, they're competing for national championships every year. They haven't done that, but they've been a very nice team in terms of, you know, how many years have they been to the postseason in a row now, and, and you know, how many years are they, you know, fighting for a division title at least. And, you see, there's, there's a lot of things to like. Uh, in terms of being that, you know, a, a second-tier college program, the, the type of team that's not, you know, just outside the top ten every year. And so they got that going for them. Absolutely. Yeah, and yeah. I still say that, that Russell Wilson team was a championship-caliber uh, team, darn it. I don't care what anybody says. <laughs> that, that was the best team I've seen in a long time at Wisconsin, no doubt about it. They had a chance. Yeah, absolutely, and and we'll we'll see what happens going forward. Obviously, with Chris back, and now defensive coordinator reports that Tim Tibbs are being the likely candidate. Now there's talks from Football Scoop about uh, Justin Wilcox, the former USC uh, defensive coordinator, possibly being in talks for for, for Dave Aranda's old position. Uh, we'll see how that goes, and uh, it should be a lot of fun. But we won't take up any more of your time, Brian. We really appreciate you coming back on, coming back on, and uh, we'll have to have you on uh, coming up. Uh, obviously, pro day, and then uh, NFL draft coming up just a uh, just a few months already. It, you know, the NFL season never ends. Looking forward to it. Yeah, there there is no off season. <laughs> awesome. Take care, Brian. Thank you again so much. Yep. Thanks a lot, guys. See ya. That was 24-7 Sports lead Packers writer Brian Caravu. Make sure you guys follow him on Twitter at Brian Caravu. And now that we have a little bit of time, uh, it is just two minutes past the bottom of the hour on the Kielbasa King Sports Extravaganza. Proud part of Bucky's fifth quarter and, of course, brought to you by Rent College Pads. And we'd just like to thank our presenting sponsor, Rent College Pads, for their support of the Kielbasa King Sports Extravaganza Finding off-campus housing has always been a chore until now. Browse tons of properties on Rent College Pads today. They have all the best apartments and houses around campus and in Madison. Find your next place on Rent College Pads today. And, you know, Scotty, before we kind of uh, switch kind of gears real quick, yeah, it's interesting. There's a, like I mentioned just a bit ago, uh, Justin Wilcox, the USC, the former USC defensive coordinator who was let go before the holiday bowl when the Badgers faced the Trojans. Uh, apparently there's been some due diligence on him. Uh, there's talks about Tim Tibisar, who was the outside linebackers coach. Uh, Jeff Patricus from Milwaukee Journal Sentinel had reported that he was a likely candidate to emerge. Uh, you know, it, it, either way, right? Both, both uh, coaches have some contractions, but they have some large issues to fill with Dave Aranda leaving for LSU. Yeah, huge, huge, huge shoes to fill. And I know we're going to talk some uh, NFL championship games and then Brewers, but I did just want to illustrate one more Badger point. In the, since the Barry Alvarez era began, postseason 21 out of 23 of the last year, 23 years, 21 out of 23, 12-9 and nine in bowl games. So I know that they're considered a second level. I like to say a 1A, like the, the, the top, then there's a second level, and the Badgers are somewhere in between there. But just to show the success, I think people take for granted with this program that was all but dead before Barry Alvarez got here. But anyway, Absolutely. sorry, I didn't mean to shift <laughs> gears too much there. But No worries, no worries at all. And, and uh, but yeah, just with everything going on uh, it's with, with Wisconsin, just as a quick FYI, uh, one of their recruiting targets, a cornerback out of Alexandria, Virginia, Canadian-born cornerback in Patrice Rene, uh, actually committed to the North Carolina, North Carolina Tar Heels. 
just this evening. Uh, and on top of that, uh, just with this report on Wilcox, a uh, little bit of tidbits and notes. You only take a quick minute. At USC, Trojans finished 65th in the nation in total defense, allowing over 400 yards per game. 41st against the run, 93rd against the pass. Uh, last season, they were ranked 78th, giving up about 398 altogether, but only but gave up about 24 points a game. That was good for 38th in the nation. Uh, but Wilcox also has experience uh, with Steve Sarkeesian at, at Washington from 2012 to 2013, at Tennessee at 2010 to 2011. He found some success at both the programs in terms of some scoring defense stats. Uh, and the, the, from what I can tell, that defense in Washington was actually really good during those two seasons that he was the defensive coordinator there. And then, of course, at Boise State, he had some uh, good years, Really good, solid uh, scoring defense from his squads. Uh, 2008, 12.6 points per game. Uh, that was in the, of course, it's in the Mountain West, so the competition may not be as fierce compared to the SEC or the Pac-12 or the Big Ten, for that matter. Uh, but uh, switching gears, all right, you know, we, let's, let's talk some. We have some big talking about the NFC and the AFC championship games. Let, let's start off first. New England, Denver, Brady, Manning. It's it's uh, Hatfields and the uh, McCoys uh, of the NFL, but obviously they like each other. What do you, what would you say, Scotty? Uh, who do you think comes out of this, and who goes Santa Clara from the AFC uh, to represent the AFC in Super Bowl Fifty? You know, I, I like the way Denver's defense has played um, all year. And then last week they did a good job against a arguably, not even arguably, a beat-up Pittsburgh team. No Antonio Brown. Roethlisberger was hurt. He played through it, but whatever. That being said, I I didn't hate what I saw out of Peyton Manning, but I didn't love it either. Um, this isn't the Peyton Manning that we're used to now. It's better than the Peyton Manning we saw the first eight weeks of the season this year. But I think if Peyton Manning were still close to being the Peyton Manning we remember, I think the defense could carry him to a victory. I don't think they're going to generate enough offense, though. I think I think you're going to see New England skate by and, and win this one, maybe field goal, four points, you know, 23-19, 23-20, somewhere around there. But I think New England comes away with the victory. I agree as well. I, I just think New England's they've been there, obviously, Manning. It comes down to the quarterback position. I don't know how much Manning, what he'll be able to do. Uh, and, and obviously it's at, New, it's at Denver, uh, with Denver being the number one seed, which still seems, it, with everything that's gone on at Denver with the, the Manning situation and, and Brock Osweiler, that they're the number one seed, just kind of, uh, the Patriots really like really faltered at the end of the, at the end of the year. Granted, it may not, matter uh obviously in the playoffs see what they can do but yeah i, I say patriots win that you look at uh james white getting to the second consecutive super bowl uh and in only a second year and uh even monte balls a practice squad are out over there uh but with that uh well, then oh go ahead I, I, i'm sorry i think that with a healthy edelman and a healthy gronkowski that makes the difference i, I think you know tom brady's not going to throw for 400 yards but he's got just enough weapons healthy now to outlast Denver and, and Peyton Manning. So that's 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 part of what goes into yeah. it. I think if Edelman was still hurt or if Gronk were out, eh, it could be a different game even with Peyton Manning not being Peyton Manning. But but those guys healthy, I think I think that's the difference. Well, I mean, and even with that too, like those guys, you have Edelman, you have Gronkowski. But take a look. I mean, and I know that normally you you're not a fan of me pointing out. Pack, uh, former Badgers that that haven't really done too much in the yeah. NFL, you know. But look at what James White's done. Uh, granted, two receptions, 39 yards against uh, the Chiefs last Saturday, but he came on very well for for the Patriots. Became that receiving threat, that kind of the third down back, not even a third down back. I'll say a passing down back could can pick up some blitzes here and there. Ended the year with 40 receptions and and you know I think he had what was it five touchdowns on the year. Uh, if not, I think it was maybe even higher. I mean, seeing that the use that they that they've used, you know, Brady and 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 they've utilized, you know, the former Wisconsin Badger back. It's it's a welcome sign, and well, it's interesting to see what they what they do with him even next year. Well, James White and Deion Lewis before he got hurt are effective when 
you've got Edelman and Gronkowski able to stretch the field. You saw a few games towards the end of the year where the offense wasn't as effective with those guys banged up, even with the dump-off passes to the running backs. I think that fine-oiled machine of every position having its its job to do, I think, has certainly helped James White from a receiving standpoint. But it is going to be interesting to see what they do next year if they have a healthy Deion Lewis, because they usually like to have the guy, the White-slash-Lewis player who can you know, catch the ball in the backfield and then the, the ground-and-pound guy like Garrett Blount before he got hurt, or now I guess I guess Steven Jackson now. <laughs> Who would have figured that? But, um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what they do. I mean, obviously they're talented enough to keep them both, but, and then there'll be a third back in there that'll probably be more of that power back. But um, switching over to the NFC, first of all, regardless, I, mean, I think it should have been the Packers going to Carolina. How surprised were you, real quick, about – I mean, Seattle made it a game, and I kind of figured they were going to. But Carolina just absolutely destroyed them in the first half and, and made it not a game. Um, and, and I keep waiting. Yeah, and I keep waiting for Carolina to, to lay that proverbial egg. And, you know, I was all set after the, the, the Cardinals beat the, the Packers to, to pick the Cardinals against either one of those teams that, that were going to play on Sunday. And then Carolina comes out and, and, and clobbers Seattle and, Man, it's hard to pick against Carolina. I, I still, part of me still thinks the Cardinals could do it, but if I have to pick and I have to make a bet and I were plucking down some money, I guess I would take Carolina. But uh, it's going to be close. I'm I'm up in the air about it. I I'm, I still haven't made my pick in my head. I, I part of me, in terms of the, of a fan perspective or a guy to root for, you like Larry Fitzgerald, obviously what he's done. I love Larry. An ambassador to the game, Justin, you know. I mean, he, he's a he's a great, um, just a great player who deserves an NFL title. But on top of that, just a uh, a guy that does a lot for the community, uh, and and he deserves, uh, in my opinion, you know, especially with all the back and forth with the with the team in itself, uh, not having a good quarterback for a few years and kind of going through those pains. Uh, good to see him. Really, you know, like have the opportunity to play and for a chance to go back to the Super Bowl. I would say, uh, yeah, if I, it's hard because obviously Seattle's a talented team, and you saw. You don't know if it's, if they if the Panthers just let up, or or if it really was like Seattle just okay, we're we're plowing ahead, you know, we're getting back on track, and they made it a one score game. You know, they made it they made it close. They they they, they were getting down, and. Uh, I'll have to say Cardinals. I'll, I'll go Cardinals. Just uh, I like that offense, and it'll be a test, especially against that defense of the Panthers. But we'll see how Carolina's defense can stack up against uh, just that potent offense with 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 the David Johnson, with obviously the with Floyd Fitzgerald, uh, and, and and see how Palmer can do. I I'll right now I'll say the Cardinals by like one. I'll say twenty eight twenty seven. Cardinals, but I mean, like I said, it could go either way. It's kind of my pick. I throw, I'll throw it up in the air. I really, I really don't know who's going to come out of that. Especially, like I said, you, the Panthers Seahawks game where that threw everything up in the yeah. air because just how dominant Carolina looked at home. They were, they were ready. And give Ron Rivera credit well, for that. Well, I'm going to take Carolina 31-27. I do think just from some of the throws I saw, I don't want to take anything away from the Packer defense. I do think the fingers bothering Carson Palmer a little bit. I think all I think the Cardinals would have to be play their best football to beat Carolina, and I, I don't know that Carson Palmer is playing his best football, um, and that's why I'm going 31-27 Carolina. But I really want Larry Fitzgerald to win. I'll, I'll tell you what, I, I I put it out there on on social media. It's it to me. I I said I hate that the Packers lost, but if there's one player that you'd be okay beating you, it's a guy like Larry Fitzgerald. Just to, you know, post-game interview, very gracious, but then on the ESPN interview, uh, sending some love to, to Chris Mortensen. And what players, you know, do that in the heat of the moment anymore, you know? So I just, again, just illustrating the class and, 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 and the likability of a guy like Larry Fitzgerald. And the other thing I, I like about the Cardinals in general is they play hard, they take chances. They're a good football team, and so is Carolina. But, man, everybody on Carolina, it's not just the Cam Newton thing. 
and they act like they won a championship already. The way they they prance around. Look, I understand. You know, be happy. Be you know, celebrate the things that go well. But you guys haven't won anything yet. You know, you you know, see, you knocked off the defending champ, uh, the NFC champs. Good, good for you. But you haven't won anything yet, man. And they've been acting like that since week four. But yet, you, 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 I don't see a Lombardi Trophy in your in your trophy case yet. So. Why don't you take it down a notch, Carolina Panthers? And maybe that's why I'm having a hard time rooting for them, but I still think they're going to pull it off. Uh, part of me, yeah, I know, granted, it's, you know, the confidence is there. I, part of me draws it to there, you know, and um, it's good to have that confidence. Maybe that's what they need to, to stay confident there on, on that end. But, uh, but yeah, so we'll see. And, obviously, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll see who um, makes it out to uh, – Santa Clara, California, in a couple of weeks, and, and it looks like apparently I think there's some reports out there. Mike McCarthy is actually coaching the Pro Bowl, uh, and the Packers staff are they're coaching the Pro Bowl out there. So uh, that'll be fun for them. A nice little Hawaiian break. Uh, from there, uh, let's let's transition real quick to uh, we got a few minutes left here. Uh, let's talk real quick about that report from Tom Hardricourt from Milwaukee, you know, uh, from Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. Talk with Jonathan Lucroy, the, the the trade talk, the trade question. Your your thoughts on Lucroy's response? Look, if he's nothing, he's honest. Um, he wants to play on a team that's got a chance to win. Who doesn't? You know, I think that people are going to get bent out of shape and they're going to think that he doesn't want to be in Milwaukee or he's disloyal somehow. He didn't say anything bad about the city. He said he's he's a veteran player and he wants to contend. And the Brewers could be, let's face it, at least three years away from being contenders, and, and likely more. Yeah. Um, so, I, I mean, so I, I think what they need to do is uh, they have to figure out what uh, what, what they're going to get from. I think the only thing that hurt, that bothers me about the Lucre comment is it hurts the Brewers' chance now to, to get a, a perhaps a bigger haul for him if they trade him because now the the teams could go look he doesn't want to be there anyway so you you kind of kind of have to trade him and maybe you have to take less for him that's the only disappointing thing i wish that lucre would have had a a more Jonathan lucre type year last year and then you could really get his value i'd love to see Jonathan lucre be on this team when the brewers are good again but i also understand the economics of baseball and more importantly uh, the wants and desires of players who are approaching 30. So I'm not upset with Jonathan Lucre for being honest. I think he's a great player, but I think he's worth more in what you can get for him than he's going to be. Yes, he'd help a young pitching staff because he frames pitches very well. Sure, and the Brewers have a young pitching staff. Yeah, I, I understand 100%. But I also understand that getting the two number one prospects for him um, and and some other filler players, it's probably more valuable to this team than waiting for them to be a contender again. I agree. It depends on like obviously you mentioned it. The 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 trade bait kind of hurts just because of the fact that he want you know he basically said yeah I'm well, I'm open for it. But you also you get what you can get. And obviously David Stearns is in that mode of rebuilding, restocking. There's trying to retool that the farm system and, and what you can get right now for a solid catcher that obviously you mentioned has that ability to, to mold the staff and to help and to really develop a, a pitching staff or just increase its uh, potential. It's, I think you have to look at that. Whether or not that's going to happen, we'll see. But, yeah, I, it's one of those times where if 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 it happens, it happens, and uh, we'll see how that plays out. Um, I, I don't know. Like it's, uh, and I mean, like I said we isn't Brewers on deck by the way coming up in a few few weeks. Yeah, a couple. The, the the week before the Super Bowl. Uh, I'm I'm tempted to go simply because you know there's an old there's an old time baseball club where you get some really good ticket deals from and the grab bags, but. Uh, you know, it's interesting. If you looked at the attendees, there's a lot of past brewers. Ryan Braun is there, but two people missing from that. Well, a couple people. Segura and Peralta won't be there, even though they just signed their contracts. They're not listed as the attendees. But neither was Jonathan Lucroy, neither was Chris Davis. Interesting. Mm. 
a little bit interesting to me because those are two players that have been rumored to uh, uh, perhaps get dealt before the season starts. So just, uh, you know, so just kind of throwing that out there. Very true. Very true. Uh, before we let you guys go, uh, real quick, we, Scotty and I had a great chance to meet up with some of our good friends and some new friends, if you will, including our own Andrew Rosin for Bucky's Fifth Quarter, who does a lot of the recruiting writing and does our game previews on Bucky's Fifth Quarter.com. But we all had a chance to go out to NXT uh, for in Turner Hall, Milwaukee. The, the seating arrangement, I'll say, Scotty, wasn't optimal in my opinion. Uh, wrestling was was decent, at least I, I would say maybe the second half of the card really popped out to me, but uh, overall a really fun experience uh, and a great surprise with Kevin Owens after the Sami Zayn, Tommaso Ciampa uh, barn burner, as I'll refer to it as. What, uh, what were your overall impressions of NXT Milwaukee? Well, some of what I'm going to say won't be the most popular, but I'll start with the great things that, that have. First of all, dedicated fan base, good show, and but the majority of the card was good. Okay, uh, Tommaso Ciampa is phenomenal, and I've been following him since Ring of Honor. I've gotten to work on a couple shows, Ring announcing and shows that he's worked on the indie level. He's phenomenal, and Sami Zayn's phenomenal. And that match, by far, easily the match of the night, uh, easily, easily, and yeah. it was fun to watch. The main event was great. The tag match opener was great. Uh, you know, not really wasn't impressed with any of the women's matches, and we unfortunately got stuck with three. It seems like all the the other three shows on the stop had two uh, singles match and then a women's tag match. We got stuck with three, and neither one was that impressive. I like Bailey. I like watching her work. I just am not digging Nia Jax in that feud. I'm just not. I'm not digging it. And and I think that if Jax wasn't related to The Rock, she wouldn't even be getting the look she's getting. So that's my opinion on that. As far as the show goes, though, I mean, I like NXT a lot. I also still like the WWE a lot, even though the storylines are weird and some of the booking is odd. Those guys can still work, and they still impress me. And I still, you know, even though I watched the three hours in about 45 minutes because there's a lot of stuff I can fast forward to, there's still a lot of good things happening in the ring. And I think the people who are hardcore NXT fans will turn a blind eye to some of the stuff in NXT that's not great and will poop on everything in the WWE even if it's not terrible. I think that they kind of get a little jaded, and, and they, they it's kind of like the old WCW-WWF wars. If you were a WCW fan, the WWF could do nothing right. And if you were a WCW <laughs> fan, they could do no wrong, which we know wasn't true because there was a lot wrong in WCW as well. But you, you understand oh, gotcha. my point. Like, yeah, I think that... The, the, the fervor by the, the hardcore NXT fans sometimes dilutes the, the reality that there's still good going on on Monday nights, and there's still some things on NXT where you go, hmm, I didn't understand that. But it was a good show. They got a good roster. The only other thing I would have loved to see Samoa Joe live, that didn't happen yeah. um, on any of the stops on the tour. I thought he'd show up in Chicago, but he didn't. And uh, But getting getting Owens was a nice trade-off for that, You know, getting him the to make a nice surprise at Turner Hall. And, uh, you know, so those are my impressions. I enjoyed it. The seating arrangements weren't optimal, but um, it's a great enough building that you're never far from the ring, even if you're not in a seat or if you're split up from your group or whatever the case may be. No, I agree. That was one thing that popped to me because, I mean, obviously I took a few pictures just to kind of highlight the night and just see how close they could get to getting a decent pick. And, we we were pretty close, and we were five, six rows back in general admission, which for people that don't know, we were on the diet, like basically on the corners of each ring is where general admission was. And But we were, I found a few seats that were close to the ramp, which I don't know how they were left open. I mean, you saw Owens when he came out right out the bat. You, you know, you're, you're right up there, and it was, I mean, the entrances were great, and that Owens pop, I mean, I haven't heard, I and mean, obviously I haven't been to a wrestling show in quite some time, but that was one of the loudest pops I've heard. And, uh, you know, and there's some backstory. If you go to our, our sister site for SB Nation, Cage Side Seats, they kind of talked about how Owens, I mean, this backstory was he he loved Turner Hall when he worked for, for Ring of Honor. And the fact that he made a special appearance because he loved Milwaukee and that the venue so much that uh, he wanted to, he wanted to, you know, he really wanted to, to come back for, for that match. I mean, that was a perfect surprise 
and it was really uh i mean it was it, it's one thing with like obviously you and i have the the knowledge and the experience of of, of independent wrestling and kind of kind of the inner workings of things but you know i have a friend you know my brother-in-law we could be brought to the show you know and and he he obviously he's he he knows some things but obviously not all but and he's more obviously more of that fan but he the light up of his face just seeing the different performers is uh was something that was nice it, it for me it it, it made everything worth it where you know he's he's seeing you know he's got a bum knee and whatnot but it was, it was great to see just him enjoying the show and and, and being a, a fan there and you know i you know you and i both have that thing where we don't really necessarily cheer or or you, you know what i mean like go, go full maybe full mark if you will is how we put it but you know it was it was still good to see like a, a fan who doesn't have that perspective like we have really enjoy the show sure. although sure. i will and, say and, oh go ahead yeah, I was gonna say, and and I, while I I'm, I don't consider myself a smart because I never ever ever complain or criticize anything that happens in a match because they're all phenomenal. But I will sit there and just kind of take it all in. But I I had to get on my feet for Zayn and and Champa. I mean that was I mean because you know that just deserved all the respect in the world. That was absolutely just phenomenal. Right, so I found myself in that moment you know, getting on my feet and giving them the, the kudos that they, they truly earned and truly deserve. So I, I, had, a, I had a small little quote-unquote Mark moment, but it was, it, was, it was phenomenal. I mean, that was a phenomenal match. It was. It was. And, you know, I'll say my Mark out moment was probably Owens, just because it was pure surprise. It's one thing if you know the person there, like, okay, but then, like, him come out of the blue, uh, I, I pretty much, I mean, you know, I I – I said, oh, like really loud, and next thing you know, he's out there. And I was, I think that was might have been my markout moment of the night uh, on that end. Uh, but with that, obviously, you know, I've worked, I've, oh, I've worked a couple shows. I'm sorry, I've worked a couple shows with Kevin Owens too. So, eh, you know, yeah. it's like, oh, it's just Kevin again. Eh. I mean, I'm sure. <laughs> listen, when I say I've worked shows with him, I guarantee you he doesn't remember me from Adam. However, I certainly remember working on shows with him, and that was kind of cool. Uh, to see, you know, it's it's great when I see people that I've either worked on shows with or have considered myself friends or kind of came into the business with, you know, guys like Matt Winchester and Silas Young and and then some of these other guys like Kevin Owens slash Kevin Steen and Tommaso Ciampa and be able to say, man, I I worked worked on shows with those guys, like I, uh, Ken Anderson, like I that trust like right Born next to him, yep. you know, yeah, I mean that's just it's cool, like it's it's really cool to. to to be able to, to say, and then when you're sitting there watching it, it's like, yeah, man, I talked to, I actually took, uh, I took uh, Ken Anderson's uh, uh, finish once in Oshkosh. So I was like, yeah, man, I took that guy's finish like 12 years ago. So I don't know, whatever. Yeah. Oh, no. It is oh, no. oh, no, I'm I'm the same way. I, it, it goes back to what you would, you know, the, the match right before is maybe two to three months before uh, Hornswoggle was signed uh, back in, uh, up in, up in the ACW, NWA, Wisconsin. It was the same thing where you know I I, I got to to wrestle him and it was you know it was actually a good match probably one of my better matches that I've had as a as a indie wrestler uh, and it was yeah it's one of those things that you can kind of hang your head on and, and, and you're you're yeah obviously uh, we don't brag a lot but it's one of those things like yeah yeah you know I I know this person and you know Ken Anderson I remember taking backstage and uh, talking with him and and even in the ring like you know when I was first starting off. Uh, when I was making trips up there to Green Bay area where, you know, he's helping me like, hey, they, they're looking at this. You need to help, you know, work on that and, and, and stuff that, you know, it's, it's cool to see. It's really cool to see when you and, and even with like a they got a Silas Young chant at the NXT show. And, and obviously uh, knowing Silas and, and, and knowing the Beer City Bruiser, uh, you know, it's good to see those guys making an impact uh, for the, from the Wisconsin, uh, you know, Wisconsin team. So I guess to answer the question about the show, I enjoyed it. Um, but, you know, I, I think I just kind of looked at it with a different eye than I think 95% of the fans that were there. No, that, so. that's fine too. And I'll, I'll say this but before we make our, we have, we have a minute left uh, before the show ends, but 
Uh, I will say the NXT fans, like if you go to Full Sail University for a show, they take over the show, and that's one thing where I don't like it, where you have a, a show, uh, guys that take or fans that try to take over the show. Uh, it's about the performers. You respect it. Obviously, they they have to earn your respect, but you don't, uh, you know, and you pay a ticket to see them. But it means that some of those fans are so self righteous that. Uh, it ruins the show, and that's that's just my oh, two you mean, cents. You mean like Wrestle, like WrestleMania fans, like the international crowd that makes its way to, to WrestleMania and the Raw after WrestleMania every year? Um, <laughs> who they actually think for for a while? Well, here's the thing: for a while, the WWE booked towards those fans after WrestleMania, and then they realized that after WrestleMania. Those fans pretty much go away, and then you're back trying to appease the fans that are there week in and week out. And uh, but I, I, I'm going to get down a rabbit hole. I'd rather not. <laughs> so we'll, we'll just we'll just leave it alone. We'll just leave it alone. Well, on, so. on that note, with uh, Raw Rumble predictions, obviously Roman Reigns, and we'll we'll see the Rumble itself. Obviously, the stipulation is was it Roman Reigns? I think based off of Raw last night, he is number one uh, going on. So what? I mean, obviously, it looks like you have to go through 29 other wrestlers. Who do you got in the Royal Rumble, uh, and, and who do you think going to take home that title? I hate, I, I hate that I'm going to predict Roman Reigns, and here's why. I want Reigns to remain champ. He's on a roll. I think it's too early to kill that, but so I think he has to win it, but then to outlast at number one, then that seems like it's predictable booking, and yeah, it makes him into a superhero, but it's almost too much of a superhero. So I think he wins it. I don't think he should. I think I wouldn't have a problem with him winning it if he didn't draw number one, but if he goes from one and outlasts everybody, I don't know that. I don't know that I'm really keen on that. I'm not either. I think like you said, it's too predictable. It's, it's too, uh, I won't say cheesy, but it's, it's also, it's one of those things where it's so predictable that, Oh, this man's going to go up against 29 other wrestlers and he's going to, Throw them all out of the ring and win the Royal Rumble. You're kind of say, like, all right, well, okay, you know, it's predictable at that point. Well, if he's like number fourteen or number number, two, even if he's number five or six, it's there's still right, those, other, right. you know, it, there's something there that's not the the element of, of you're you're hearing the story and it's like the story is just right in front of you, and there's no suspense whatsoever. And. I think they run the risk of the backlash that he received when he won last year. I think they turned that around and have gotten the crowd on his side, but I think they could lose that if they predictably put him over. So I, I guess we'll see what happens. Right, exactly. So, uh, but yeah, I think Reigns does go over. Uh, it'd be nice to see, and uh, Grant, I don't know if it's going to happen, but, you know, Lesnar. Uh, the Wyatts made a nice little impact at the end of Raw last night, so maybe maybe finally they get the push for, for Bray on that note, which I wouldn't Perhaps. mind. Uh, you know, yeah. that'd be nice to see. Even a guy like Owens, who I know is in the, the IC feud with, with Dean Ambrose, I'm, wait, I'm waiting for him to finally start breaking through, even though it sounds like, you know, they may start that pro... It might have been a one-time-only deal at NXT Milwaukee, but you also have that possibility of... Of him maybe and Sammy Zayn starting back up something once you know now that Zayn's back healthy, uh, we'll see how that goes. And there's also that NXT Takeover event in Dallas uh, that weekend for WrestleMania. So, uh, but but maybe Kevin Owens gets the you know like it, that'd be. I mean, I don't think he needs he doesn't need a title to get over, but he yeah, looks, I, I don't yeah, know. He'd be I guess I, I I guess I'd like to see him do something with Wyatt though because. You know, he was in that first group of the big call-ups, and while he's got a decent portion again, I don't think he needs to go to get over. I think I don't think I would mind seeing him main eventing, uh, or at least wrestling for the heavyweight title as champ going into Mania. Uh, so we'll see. I, I, I can live with that. Yeah, yeah. So no, it's uh, um, uh, but yeah, no, it's uh, we'll see what happens. And obviously, it's it's the road to WrestleMania will be starting very soon. We take off, brother, and and uh, conclude this week's episode. No, that's that's about it for me. Well, uh, maybe uh, I've got to figure out where I'm going to catch the rumble, but I know I'll be watching it. So uh, we'll uh, we'll I'm sure be in touch this week. Sounds good. You're always welcome over at our house. Just throwing it out there, brother. 
uh, if you can make the jaunt out to Madison. So I uh, just want to thank you guys all for tuning in. Big thanks again to our sponsors, RentCollegePads.com. Make sure you guys check out RentCollegePads.com, especially if you're looking for a place. All spring semester started today. So uh, if you guys are in the Madison area or the Milwaukee area, for that matter, uh, check out RentCollegePads.com for your next house for next semester, uh, even in the summer. And uh, we also want to thank Brian Carvu, lead Packers writer at 24-7 Sports and CBSI. Make sure you follow him on Twitter, at Brian Carvu. Follow Scotty, at Scott Wisniewski, too. Follow me, at JCocoB5Q. And, of course, Kilbasa Kings WI as our podcast main Twitter feed, or Twitter handle, I should say. On that note, uh, you guys have a great week. Enjoy the Royal Rumble. Uh, enjoy football. Uh, uh, you can lament the loss of the Packers, but guess what? There's always next year, and, and there's still Mike McCarthy and, and, and Aaron Rodgers uh, for the Green Bay Packers. So uh, until that time, guys, you guys take care. Joseph Chenya, and we'll talk to you next Tuesday, hopefully, on the Kielbasa King Sports Extravaganza. Proud part of Bucky's fifth quarter. Brought to you by Brent College Pads. Accordion solo, American Polka, played by Mr. John J. Kimball, Edison Records. <laughs>